What a joy to hear from the children, right? And, you know, yes, you can clap for our children. You have to come back Saturday night to hear more from them. You know, putting it right up at the front of the service is trying to teach people to not be late to church, okay? If you're late, you missed out on the kids, but so glad you were able to enjoy that this morning. Thank you to our veterans. Appreciate your service. If you were here last week, you got to hear from Andy Campman, and uh, now I've decided that I need to model myself after his preaching a little bit more, so I'm going to get around here, and I'm going to see if my cardio can handle it, okay? If I can move around like that. That's, he's enthusiastic, and what a great man to have here. What a wonderful message. Encouraging you to ask that question, who is my they? Who's holding you accountable to mission? And we're important, important. So sending, praying, mobilizing, welcoming, and even going. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Acts, and we were at the end of 15, beginning of chapter 16. We're going to be there today, so turn there and be ready. Remember, the theme was relational discord and God, the Spirit's redirection, both serve the ultimate goal of strengthening the churches and growing in the gospel proclamation. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, but God even worked through that. Through Paul's ministry with Timothy, God strengthens and grows the church. Remember, Paul even uh, circumcises Timothy, even though it wasn't required, but he did it to remove any possible stumbling block for more Jewish people coming to believe. And the Holy Spirit blocks the ministry to Asia so God can call Paul and his team to gospel ministry in Macedonia. Why? We'll answer that today, because it becomes a critical point as we consider our text today. Today we'll see that we can trust in Jesus to be the ultimate source of freedom. Remember, as we've gotten into the book of Acts, as you started even long before I was here, we're reminded that the coming of the Holy Spirit for all believers at Pentecost empowered people to minister like Jesus had promised. Remember in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember the uh, Spirit's power to guide, to direct to even stop from speaking in occasions or stop people from going places on occasions. That same spirit that currently directs and guides us as we serve and our missionaries as well, guiding our lives as believers. Look with me now at Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. Acts 16, 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And afterward, she was baptized and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that you are the Holy One. You are God of all. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our time, of our attention, of our focus, of our adoration. And we give that to you now. And Lord, we are just delighted that we can gather like this. We are so thankful for the freedom that we have in this nation to gather, and we recognize that that was a costly freedom earned by our veterans. Father, thank you for allowing this nation to have the freedom that it does. Lord, may we steward it well in worshiping you. Father, we pray for the East Campus this morning. We ask your blessing upon the ministry there and the preaching there. Father, would you be in our midst and would you move mightily? And Lord, would your spirit guide and lead and teach as only he can? We give this time to you, Lord, and we ask your blessing upon it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So Lydia finds freedom through faith in Christ. Here they are in Philippi within Macedonia. It's not the capital city of Macedonia. That was Thessalonica. But it's the first or a leading city of Macedonia. Roman colonized port established in 42 B.C. Veteran Roman soldiers were sent there as colonizers. It was a reward for their faithful service to Caesar. There's a Roman road running right through it. There's a lot of traffic there. Imagine this busy city with the Roman chariots and soldiers traveling in and out. We're told that that Paul and Silas, they go to a riverside place of prayer, a place where they thought that that they would gather, and that means that there was likely no synagogue there. Again, I think we mentioned before, uh, it takes a minimum of 10 Jewish men for for them to form a synagogue, so very few Jews, so likely they they chose a place where it could be uh, ritually pure, some place where there could be washing. We're not exactly sure what the motivation would have been. And it's very possible that they may not have been welcomed within the Roman colony of Philippi, at least not in a large way. And there they found these women, and they began to teach these women. And we might see an answer to a previous question that emerged. Look at uh, verse 14 again. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Please don't miss that phrase, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is the Spirit of God working in the heart of this woman. As much as it's important for us to share the gospel and to live it out in front of people, we also need to remember that it is God who changes the heart. It's God who does it. So here we have this woman, Lydia, who responds in faith and and chooses to to be baptized as well. And a good reminder for you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never been baptized, we encourage you to follow the Lord in baptism. 
sign up for our next baptism. She was a seller of a purple, uh, likely a, a woman of wealth. Uh, the purple items were luxury items. They, were, they would use them to adorn their clothing or to signify things within their dress. No doubt quite successful as she welcomes them to come and to stay in her own home. What a beautiful picture of a godly and hospitable woman. Look with me at verse 16. As they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. Just a little a detail here. You notice that the us in there again, as we mentioned two weeks ago, Luke is now including himself in the narrative, so he's joining with them. But here we see this slave girl set free. And certainly it, it presents the question of what was possessing her. You know how we've used that phrase every now and then, what in the world possessed you to do that, right? It's not really a very pleasant phrase when you think about it. Uh, in in that, this culture, they would have believed that a spirit of divination was uh, empowered by Python, the mythical dragon that guarded the temple of the priestess. The term eventually became used for anyone possessing some kind of supernatural force or power. But here's this woman who has this ability, and, and many people would have relied upon her to make critical decisions. They, they, they would go to her and want to know how things would turn out. They would even have uh, military generals that would come and seek her or someone like her for the military decisions they were going to make. What's fascinating is that she is one who uh, introduces them. This demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl is actually giving true proclamation here. It's fascinating. From a demon-possessed girl. And we ask the question, how does, how does she know? And, and we can certainly go back to the Gospels and see Jesus' interaction with those who are demon-possessed, and we see that they clearly knew who he was. Now notice that it says, for days. Now it started out that they were just going out to the place of prayer. And whether or not uh, she followed them then beyond that for days, we don't know. But you have to wonder, if this goes on for days, why doesn't Paul get annoyed sooner? Because it says he gets annoyed. He's greatly annoyed. Honestly, that made me feel a little better. Anybody here ever get annoyed? Just me. This service leaves me hanging out to dry so often. <laughs> you are far more righteous than I, apparently. I get annoyed from time to time. Apparently none of you do, but I'll tell you what it's like later. Paul's annoyed, and he seems to act out of a desire to be free of her. Isn't that interesting? He's, just, he's frustrated. 
And he commands the demon to leave. It might have just been his way of just shutting her up. It works. The demon leaves her, and she is free. Annoyed or not, whatever the motivation was, she is set free. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that the hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here he's, there's an attempt made to take the physical freedom away from Paul and Silas. I want you to think about this for a minute. For these slave owners to be mad at Paul and Silas for having done this, for having taken away her ability, they must first have believed that Paul and Silas actually possessed the power to accomplish it, right? Think about that for a minute. For them to accuse them and to be that mad at them, they have to have understood that their power exceeded the power that she had. So what, what would cause them to believe that and then, and then not believe what message they carry? I mean, why wouldn't they at that point go, wow, we should hear what they have to say? I, I think the simple answer here is they're too greedy. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? And they were already familiar with the power of the spirit world. They, they, they had watched it make them a lot of money. So it wasn't so stunning to them that there would be this supernatural power. But how could they miss it? How could they, they not see that the, 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 Paul, the power that Paul had within him, the spirit of the living God, uh, was greater? And why wouldn't they pursue that? And I would suggest it's just, they're just hard-hearted to the truth. They were just plain spiritually blind. And it's ironic here that in their anger, when they seize them and drag them, they bring them uh, into the city and, and make the accusation. The accusation is that these have caused a riot. In the Roman culture, in a Roman colony like this, Romans really prided themselves in order. They wanted control. So the idea is these guys are coming in and they're, they're taking our order away. They're taking control away. So we've got to do something about it. And they cause a riot in doing so, which is interesting. Look at verse 22 again. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. So note here, this is an authorized beating. 
The crowd jumps in, which is interesting to think of what uh, this must have been like. They're stripped. They're beaten with rods, humiliated, imprisoned, with their feet in stocks. No doubt open wounds and bleeding and bruised in pain. If, if you're Paul and Silas here, aren't you asking God some questions in this moment? Did we go to the wrong part of Macedonia? God, did we miss a turn? Did we get on the wrong side of the tracks here? Or what happened? Didn't you give a vision of a man calling us? Where's that man? And we, we met Lydia, and certainly you did a, a great thing in her life. By the way, an interesting thing to note here is that Lydia's in Philippi here, right? In Macedonia. But notice where it said she's from. Thyatira. Look at the map. Top center, right above Asia, right below the, where it says Mysia. Isn't it interesting that they were not allowed to go there, and yet they ministered to somebody from there. God just works in amazing ways. But certainly they had to be thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, you stopped us from, from speaking in those places. You stopped us from, from, from going to those places. And you led us here. And, and you had to be thinking, they'd be going, be going you led us here for this? So that we could be publicly humiliated and, and beaten and imprisoned? Isn't this a blame God moment for Paul and Silas? Think about it. I suspect I'm not going to pull you because you always leave me hanging, but most of you at some point have probably blamed God for something, haven't you? I'm not, no, so I'm not putting my hand up. I don't dare. But you blamed God at some point. God, what are you doing? God, why have you allowed this? For some circumstance in your life, for some problem in your life, some pain, some hurt. God, what have you done to me? And you and I know from Scripture that that's a wrong perspective to have on circumstances, to have on hardships, to have on pain, to have on loss, on grief. But you, you, you have to be thinking, God, you sent us here. You didn't let us go that way. You didn't let us go that way. You wanted us to go this way, and, and this is what it brings. But you know, I don't think that Paul and Silas were complaining. But notice, I'm not suggesting that they enjoyed the pain or the humiliation. I think they just understood the value of obedience. And maybe we could say, you know, Maybe it wasn't God's plan that, that, that this happened because it wasn't God's plan for, for Paul to get annoyed and go, Spirit out! So maybe that was something he had done because he, like me, was capable of being annoyed. None of you, but me. 
I'm not bitter. Yes, I am. Uh, remember later on, Paul would write, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And we can look at it and say, certainly Jesus would have wanted this slave girl to be free from the demon, right? I mean, look at the Gospels. So I don't think it was Paul acting out of line. Let's continue on with one of the greatest shifts in circumstances we find in Scripture. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a moment. This long, eventful night. A lot happening here in the night. And don't we want to question this? I mean, stripped and beaten, imprisoned, feet in stocks, in a filthy environment with open wounds and bruises. And they're praying and singing hymns to God. Songs of praise to one who is worthy. They're singing. They're, they're bringing honor to God in praise and in prayer. And they've got an audience. We know that. We were told they were listening. And God shows up in the form of an earthquake. What's interesting is there's no sign that the community was awakened by it. Maybe they were. All the doors are open. And even the locks are broken loose. Now, you can imagine an earthquake rattling a door jam of a prison, right, and, and, and breaking that loose, but really it, it frees up the stocks that are within the prison. And the jailer awakes to the door open. A source of great fear for him, for one like him to have failed in retaining his prisoners, he would have been treated horribly and put to death. So he assumes they're gone and prepares to take his own life. He figures, I'd rather end it before they do. 
Don't harm yourself. We're all here. And your question could be asked, why are they all there? I mean, what stopped the other prisoners from, from leaving? And the simple fact is we don't know how quickly the jailer woke up. Maybe he just woke up because of the earthquake and nobody even had time to. And maybe the, the other prisoners don't want to leave if Paul and Silas aren't leaving based upon what they'd experienced in the previous hours. And notice the response of the jailer to fall before them. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a moment. What a moment. Gives them a chance to say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. The gospel, the good news, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved gets to go into his house and say, listen, this is available for you too. And, and I want to stop and say, what caused this man to, to ask what he asked? He didn't come in and say, thank you for not leaving. Or, why didn't you take off? Not, why do you have such a positive attitude in such a bad circumstance? And I can't help but wonder if, if Paul and Silas hadn't already explained everything upon their arrival. Hadn't been saying, it's all right, God's in control. We don't care if we're in prison or outside of prison, it doesn't matter because God is with us. And we offer him praise. Can we tell you about Jesus? So at the point of him witnessing this obvious act of God, he comes to his tipping point of saying, what must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. I love this. Look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. What a beautiful picture. These men lovingly point him to the way of salvation. They point him to freedom in Christ. He and his family as well. And what does he do with them? He tries to nurture them. He cares for them. He washes their wounds. They share food together. He invites them up into his house. He, he's, he's grateful. He's saying, I need more time with him. And by the way, you've been treated so poorly, I'm sorry. Let me do what I can because you have made my night and you've set me free. Look at verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And Paul said to them, 
They've beaten us publicly. Uncondemned condemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reward, uh, reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Set free. It's interesting here because a close reading of the text suggests that the jailer has to put Paul and Silas back into the prison. And perhaps that was under the instruction of Paul. Going, hey, listen, we don't want to get you in trouble once. Let's go back. You can guard us there. But then the jailer gets to come with that wonderful news. Hey, good news. They said you can go. Be free, go in peace. I'm sure he was happy to do it. He had to be thrilled to do it. I mean, look at verse 36. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out, go in peace. We're out of here, right? We're free. No, no. We'd like a word with the manager, right? None of you have ever said that. No, I'm, you know. Somewhere in the process, the actual laws and practices of Roman culture entered into Paul's mind. Understand what we know of Paul is that he's incredibly sharp, very brilliant man. And I doubt that he forgot the Roman rules while he's being attacked and beaten. That's probably not likely. But I cannot help but wonder if Paul anticipated another opportunity to go and preach grace, to live grace, to show grace, and maybe in hopes of setting more free. Understand God's intent often is for us to use our minds as we serve him. And no doubt in that moment, Paul's going, oh, you, they broke some laws. They don't get to just set us free, and they need to talk with us. What a fantastic story of freedom. You imagine those magistrates even having to come to him with some anxiety like, oh, wow, we messed up, but hey, sorry about that whole thing. And maybe they say, it's all right. Can we tell you about freedom? What freedom is really like and where that freedom is found. The sight of freedom this whole account to me is about freedom. But it's more than about Paul and Silas obtaining freedom from this jail. It's more about uh, doors that were locked becoming unopened or stocks that were uh, confining them no longer confining them. Or even when they're told that they can leave. It's about that moment, moment when Lydia's heart embraces the truth of, of, the, of Jesus Christ, of the gospel the truth of his death and resurrection. When she goes from being religious and understanding and valuing the word of God to, to understanding who Jesus is and what he did. She finds freedom 
John 8 says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. It's about the slave girl who, who understands freedom in Christ, right? Controlled by a demon and no longer able to be controlled by a demon. She's set free in the power of Christ. It's about the jailer falling before Paul and Silas and begging to understand what it means to be set free by truth. I don't know, maybe he was the man in Paul's vision of Macedonia. It's about his family getting also to hear the good news of Jesus and be baptized to find freedom. Do you see the freedom? Do you know the freedom? And we've got to stop and ask it for, for a second. Why could Paul and Silas act like this even after such horrible circumstances? How could they do it? There were people like you and I who feel, feel pain like you and I do, who do, do not like to be humiliated, like we don't want to be humiliated. And yet, they're able to act like this. They're able to pray and to be filled with praise. And, and I would argue that the reason they can do that is they'd already been set free themselves by the truth of Jesus Christ. They knew that freedom in Christ was the source of joy, no matter what the circumstances Maybe. Let me take you for a moment to Matthew 5, verse 10. In the words of Jesus here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you or persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. No doubt Paul and Silas got it. They understood it. This was bigger than that. Have your eyes been open to true freedom in Christ? If not, would you ask him to do that? Will you say, Lord, help me to see this freedom. Help me to know it. If you don't know it, I'd love to talk with you up front afterwards. You want to come up and talk to me or one of the elders? And that leads me to my thoughts as I wrap up, and that is, do you know this freedom in Christ? And if that's true, is the Lord helping you and using you to set others free? And I think an appropriate question as well, if, if you know this freedom, how is your joy factor? Is it easy for you to hang in the realm of grumpy and complaining? Or does the freedom in Christ bring you joy no matter what your circumstances may be? Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for texts like this that just help us see a little bit more 
of how beautiful and how powerful your truth is. The redeeming truth of Jesus Christ who conquered the grave on our behalf. Who redeemed us out of the prison of our sin into the freedom of Christ. Lord, we bring praises to you because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And that victory that our Savior Jesus brought us that was born out of his suffering and his death. Lord, may our spirits and our hearts be renewed as we think of what Jesus endured to purchase our salvation. Lord, as we think about that, may our own self-focused thoughts just fade away as we realize that you, Lord, are the only one we need. Father, may we remain faithful until the glorious day when we come and join in worship together before your throne, recognizing that we are freed from the shame of sin and we share in the righteousness of our Savior, that grace has called us from the prison of sin into freedom. Father, thank you. Lord, would you keep us focused on you, filled with the joy that comes from the freedom we find in the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.